Christ, the life of all the living, Christ, the death of death, our foe, who thyself for me once giving to the darkest depths of woe, through thy sufferings, death and merit, I eternal life inherit. Thousand, thousand thanks shall be, dearest Jesus, unto thee. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, you are, in all likelihood, very familiar with the expression ulterior motives. While the expression itself is neutral, it's sort of in our society, I think you'll agree, taken on sort of a sinister air. In other words, when we talk now about something or someone having an ulterior motive, we think it's probably a bad motive. The expression as it was originally used, didn't have that connotation one way or the other. It was just, it was neutral. And the ulterior motive could have been positive or negative, good or bad. In other words, it just indicated that someone was saying or doing something for an end to accomplish something that wasn't readily apparent. An acquaintance of mine once told me that as a young man grow up, growing up on the farm, he once stayed out all night with his friends in disobedience to his parents' command and curfew. And when he slunk back into the farmhouse at five in the morning, he found his dad in the farmhouse sitting at the kitchen table drinking coffee. Without saying a word about that evening, he got up and said it's time to get to work. And he worked his son all day, hard. He had two ulterior motives, maybe three. His obvious motive was to get to work and get the work done, but his ulterior motive was to demonstrate to his young impressionable son First of all, that actions have consequences. Second, that dumb decisions or actions can have very painful consequences. Ulterior motives, therefore, can be positive or negative. In fact, what we're going to find this evening is that the same action, the same activity, can be both positive and negative, depending on your perspective, depending on how you're approaching that, or the reason you're advocating for that particular action. In fact, it's often the case we find in God's word that when God gets involved with the decisions or actions of man and devil, the ulterior motive for the same thing is at the same time good from God's perspective, bad from man's. We're going to find an example of that in our text for this evening. That word of God is found recorded in Luke 22, beginning with verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This is God's word. 
Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. I'm sure you've also heard the expression, familiarity breeds contempt. In other words, we become so familiar with something, we begin to almost loathe it. If you eat the same thing every night, you're going to come to hate that, no matter what it is. And yet it's also true that familiarity often breeds complacence, sleep, the ability to just shut off. It breeds daydreaming. So it is that most of us, maybe all, have heard this passion story, this history of our Savior suffering and death, so many times that we know what's coming next. And, and it's so easy to shift our brains firmly into part and just let the words wash over us without thinking much. We can anticipate, oh yeah, this is where he says this and he does this and that happens next, and just sort of hear it as a retelling of a story with which we're very familiar. Now there may be some benefit in that, but not nearly the benefit there is in actually thinking about contemplating, working mentally through, and then applying that word to ourselves, not just spectators, but here's what God is saying, and what is God telling me? What is he teaching me? What's happening here? What's he saying? This evening, for example, when Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. You already knew, I assume, what Jesus actually said. You anticipated that he was going to say what? Before you answer that, let's back up. And this evening, we're going to try to approach this as though we're hearing it for the first time. And from that perspective, if you can put yourself in that frame of mind, you've never heard this before. So here's Jesus, the good shepherd, and he's speaking to his lambs, his core individuals, and he says to them, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but what would you anticipate would come next? What would you expect would be the next words out of Jesus' mouth? Now, before we answer, we're going to back up a little bit more, and we're going to examine what Jesus has said to this point so that we know exactly what's going on. First, he began with Simon, Simon. Understand that whenever the Bible uses repetition like that, it's drawing attention to something in particular. It's as if he's saying, hey, hey, pay attention. This is important. Different translations translate the word differently. Literally, it's amen, amen, or amen, amen is translated. The Greek there, Jesus is saying, if you read the King James Version, verily, verily, I say unto you. In, in other translations now, it's truly, truly, or some other way too. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he begins with Simon, Simon. Now, it's an interesting thing because the next thing that happens is Jesus says, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Satan has asked. 
Some translations have demanded, some ask. Now, understand here that though he begins with Simon, Simon, the pronoun he uses, you, is plural. So he's addressing all of the disciples here. He's saying, Satan asked to have all of you sifted like wheat. And then he focuses in on Peter. It's an interesting thing, isn't it, when you stop to think about what's going on? Satan asked God for permission to sift the disciples like wheat. This isn't new, is it? You remember back in the account of Job, Satan asked the same thing. He'd look, God said, look at my servant Job. And Satan's reply was, oh sure, he's got everything going for him. I think his, his faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Take away all that he has and he'll throw you away. So God allowed that according to his purposes. Next, has asked to sift you like wheat. You have a leg up on people living where you do. We live in a wheat country. We know about wheat. And I'm sure you understand more than maybe some what it means to be sifted like wheat, to sift wheat. Everybody knows that when you harvest wheat, there's chaff mixed in with it. And actually, when you see it, there's a lot of other stuff in there, too. Little tiny rocks, parts of bugs, all kinds of other stuff in there. So you know that when wheat's harvested, it has to be separated from all this. In our day, combines do 90-something percent of it. They cut it, and then they use blowers and screens and everything to mostly clean it, and then the process is completed by other machines when they clean it for final use or seed. You know, though, that before these machines came along, this was done by hand. And one of the methods was winnowing. It's kind of cool. We used to do that when we, were, when we were kids. We had popcorn. And popcorn, when you pull it off and your thumbs got all raw and bloody, you'd get all that popcorn off, and there would be all these, these fluffy little husks and stuff in there. So you'd go outside and you'd winnow it. You'd wait till it was windy or you'd put a fan up if there's no wind and you'd just drop it and then drop it again and the wind would carry all that. That's called winnowing. And if you've seen videos, they still do that in some parts of the world. They just take the wheat and throw it up in the air on a windy day and the chaff will get blown away. That's not, however, what Satan was asking to do to Peter. Some of you know the other way that wheat is cleaned. And that's called sifting. That's when you put the wheat into a sieve and you shake it violently. That's what Satan wanted to do to Peter. He wanted permission to not only Peter, but all the disciples to shake them violently. So, with this background, now answer. What would you, if you heard this just for the first time, what would you expect Jesus to answer when Satan has permission to sift the disciples like wheat? Wouldn't you expect something like, nope, I'm not going to let you do that. 
as if Jesus would have said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but of course, I'm never going to let him do that. I'm going to make the whole evening as easy as possible for all of you. I'm going to shelter you from so severe a trial. I denied Satan's request. Obviously, that's not what Jesus said, nor is it what he did. Well, if not making it easy, then maybe, if we've never heard this before, we might anticipate Jesus saying something like, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, and I'm going to let him, but only because I know that you're strong enough to beat him. I'm going to let him sift you because I know you're going to win. Well, that's not what happened either, is it? The night ended with Peter running out of the courtyard into the darkness where he stopped, violently shaken and weeping bitterly. Satan had shaken from him, not once, not twice, three times, a denial that he even knew Jesus. This same Jesus, whom he had not long before said that he would rather die, he would die before he would ever deny him. And then tossed in that, that, oh my goodness, Peter, even if all these others were to deny you, I would never, not I, never I, Lord. Peter was so confident in himself. Why did Jesus allow Peter to go through this? Satan's plan, his ulterior motive, was to de destroy Jesus' disciples, all of them, every one of them. He wanted to shake them loose from their Savior. He wanted to shake them loose from their faith so that they'd not just run away in fear, but abandon Jesus. That's his ulterior motive here with all of the disciples, but especially with Jesus, or with Peter, rather. He wanted to shake him so badly that he would break that connection with his Savior. That's what he was asking to do. And what did Jesus actually say? But I have prayed for you. This is singular here now. He's talking to Peter. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you, again singular, have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that something? Jesus is just, he knows. He's not, you know, if you do, he knows what's going to happen. And he warns Peter ahead of time, but yet he knows, even with the warning, that's what Peter's going to do. And so he says, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And once it's happened, and when you've turned again in repentance, use that. Strengthen, comfort your brothers. Jesus' ulterior motive and his plan in this same set of events his plan was not to defeat the devil, was not only rather to defeat the devil, but to provide something for Peter, something that Peter desperately needed. 
Peter needed to have something shook loose from him. It wasn't his connection to his Savior, obviously. It was his arrogance, his pride, his feelings that he was so strong that he looked ahead to an unknown future but could approach it with confidence because I'm strong, I can take it. In fact, there's more than that, isn't it? Jesus' goal was to not only have Peter shaken, but to fail. Jesus' plan was to have Peter fail. Peter needed this. He needed to be humbled. He needed to fail because of the strength of his faith. Does that sound odd to you? Peter needed to fail because of the strength of his faith. But you remember, faith always has a goal, a direction. Faith always grabs onto something. And right now, Peter's faith, although he trusted that Jesus was his Savior, his source of comfort and strength was himself. He believed he had that inner strength and resolve, everything that was necessary to see the thing through to completion. And Jesus gave Satan permission to sift him so that this would be shaken loose from him. Peter had to get over himself. His ideas of his own internal strength was just an illusion, a wisp, a mirage. It wasn't real. And as soon as it was put to the test in a very real way, in the form of a little servant girl, or others who weren't on their side, you know, it's strong. It's easy for us to be strong and bold when we're among fellow Christians in a church setting or in a family setting where we're all, we all teach and believe the same thing. But out there, it can be more intimidating. That was God's goal for Peter. But, again, this isn't just something that we read for entertainment. If it was recorded and preserved for thousands of years and delivered to us, and if you study the history of that in a miraculous way, then there must be something for us in it. In fact, God's Word says that these things happened as examples for you. So what are we supposed to learn from what happened to Peter? Well, let me ask you, have you ever felt like Peter before he was sifted? Have you ever looked at, witnessed the fall of someone, maybe a famous celebrity or maybe even another fellow Christian, and then thought to yourself, even unconsciously, well, I never. Well, I guess some people claim to be Christian, but whew, I would never. Have you ever sort of, sort of kind of enjoyed seeing other people fall? You feel better about yourself? And then you thought in your heart that they might do that, but I never would. And then God gives permission to Satan to shake you, to sift you like wheat, violently. And it really 
often doesn't even take all that much, and you commit a sin that just appalls you after the fact, as Peter's denial appalled him. That's exactly what God does for us when he sifts us. When we have this this idea that somehow in and of ourselves we have the strength, they might do that, but I never would. And Satan says, oh, really? Hmm. We need to be disabused of our own arrogance, our own confidence in self. We need to be reminded that we have an enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and we're his prey. Do you know what? We, we can't miss the bigger picture here. That would be a colossal mistake. The bigger picture here is that, well, first of all, there's no real upside to knowing what we're like, if not for the bigger picture. There's no upside to witnessing our own failure, if that's the end of it. Okay, we've learned to be humble. You see, Satan's ulterior motive on that night was not just the disciples. In fact, his primary target was Jesus. He wanted to sift Jesus violently. And Jesus allowed himself. In fact, when you compare the sifting of Peter and the sifting of Jesus, there is no comparison. What did Peter get? A servant girl and a couple of, of, of other servants in there. And hey, you're from Galilee. Hey, you're one of him too. That's it. And he denied his Lord and it broke him up. We read just now that Jesus was sifted so violently that his sweat became like great drops of blood. This is, by the way, a medical condition under the most extraordinary stress, the most trying of circumstances. You can actually sweat blood. And if Jesus, the Son of God, if he's described as exceedingly sorrowful, to the point of death, his words, Satan's ultimate goal was to shake loose Jesus from his mission, from his father, from obedience to his father's will. And his temptation, that temptation he started in the wilderness, never ended. If you just fall down and worship me, this will all go away. We're hurt, I hear, we hear, that that's what torturers use. All you need to do is tell me. Just Give me a little bit of information and all of this will stop. All the pain will end. That was Satan's temptation throughout Jesus' life. There's a different way. There's another path to the cross. All you need to do is fall down and worship me. You're trying to save the world? I'll give you the world. The first part of this, us being sifted, only has meaning only has purpose when we realize that where Peter failed, where we failed, Jesus never 
did. Satan's goal was to shake him loose, to violently, as violently as he could, move him off that path that he was walking to the cross, to the payment for our sins. If he could just do that, it would be the crowning achievement of his hatred. The Son of God would be defeated and all of mankind with him. He failed. Peter failed. We failed. Jesus did not. And that's the point of our lives. That's the point of everything that we do. It's the point of our faith, our confidence, what we look forward to. It's not in ourselves. It's not, oh, look at me. It's look at my Savior. Sift him as he sifted no other person in history. Satan failed in connection with my Savior. So when Satan comes to me with his accusations, your sins, your sins, you know them. They're going to condemn you to hell. There's nothing you can do about it. Our response can be now, you're right. There's nothing I can do about it. But you lost to my substitute. My Savior defeated you. And you're powerless against him. I don't claim to have strength in myself, Satan. My confidence is in my Savior, who gives me strength, who fights for me. You have nothing now to accuse me of. Because my Savior carried all of that sin. The, the, the ones I think of as little, the ones I'm embarrassed even to admit to myself, he carried all of them to the cross. And you failed to separate him from his Father's mission. Jesus ended by telling Peter, not... I prayed for you that you might not have to go through this. What did he say? I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And it didn't. Peter came back and exactly what Jesus said was true. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's what Peter did, isn't it? We read about his actions in the book of Acts. We read his two epistles. This humble, loving, now man of God who didn't trust in his own strength just as a beloved fellow Christian helped those, not just then, but now. It's the same thing that God wants for you and me. When he shakes us, when he sifts us as wheat, when he gives the devil permission to do that, he does that in love. And that same prayer he prayed for Peter, he prays for us. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You may need to get sifted. Like we can say we will. Some of you maybe are or have been recently. But God gives us the wisdom to recognize what had to be shaken loose from us, and it's always sin. It's always something evil, bad, that God wants to separate from us so that our faith by which we're saved is not threatened, is not destroyed. Having been given those gifts, God's will for us is the same for Peter. Having been sifted, help your brothers. Amen.